0: Welcome to the agile rising podcast featuring Mark Richards, a safe fellow and Tom McDonald of the agile rising team. Check it out as they talk about the origins of safe and beyond in this feature length podcast. Welcome everyone back to another agile rising podcast. And today we have a special guest from all the way around the world. Of course, I'm biased. I'm based in Chicagoland. On the other side of the world, I want to welcome everyone to a very friendly guest, Mark Richards. Mark, I had some uh, agile rising uh, research done, and I also was combing the internet a little bit uh, because, Mark, when I was told to, to talk with you, I then realized that you're one of the 18 safe fellows. Yep. And I thought, wow, I'd better know something about this guy or... um that's not going to be a good conversation. I did have a chance, and unfortunately I missed you uh, at the San Diego Summit this past October, but I did see the recording of your uh, presentation about um, OKRs, and would highly recommend it. I found it uh, very valuable as well as entertaining and and somewhat insightful for me as kind of a preview to meet with you today. But I did mention some of the agile rising uh, researchers, they fed me some information that was new to me that Apparently, you were or are uh, the first SAFE
1: SPC. Is that a true uh, statement? Yes. Well, not necessarily the first, but in the first batch. So I, I started working with SAFE before it was SAFE. Dean's first agile book was Scaling Software Agility. I think he published it back in 2007 or so. I was dealing with uh, a group who was trying to figure out how to do program-level agile read Scaling Software Agility back in, I guess, 2010. It seemed to have a lot of good advice. And uh, so we'd started working with it really just based on the book. And we were maybe three months into that journey. Dean came to Australia to teach a two-day class based on his book. It was really probably the predecessor to Leading Safe. And uh, I went along with a lot of questions because there's a bunch of stuff we'd figured out. There was a bunch of stuff we had yet to figure out. So I drove him crazy for two days. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it was really, we're trying this, and we're struggling with this, and what do you think about that? Sure. And uh, we formed a connection in that. He was very generous with his time. So we would be backwards, forwards on emails as we tried things out. And he emailed me, I don't know, probably two months after that, say, hey, just thought I'd let you know, we're actually turning it into a framework called SAFE. Uh, We're holding a a kickoff four-day immersion class on the framework in Boulder, and uh, would you like to come? So I said, absolutely, because I really, I felt, you know, Agile had been around for a while, but scaling Agile hadn't. You know, people were starting to try and apply it to big, complex problems, and there wasn't a lot of guidance out there before SAFE that was useful. Uh, I'd certainly read every book I could lay my hands on that mentioned something about scaling agility. Yeah. Um, but I really feel like SAFE had a lot of pragmatic, common-sense guidance, and uh, I decided to jump on the wave. So, yeah, I went and spent four days in the... Uh, well, I was actually in the rally office. That they held that first course. There were maybe 20, 25 of us in the room back at the beginning of the, the SPC journey when the exam was three and a half hour written exam with lots of essay answers.
0: <laughs> fun, fun times. I imagine being in, in that inaugural class and with all the questions you were bringing to it, you know, eventually you were also contributing to the framework. So I'm sure you were living it and it, uh, it wasn't quite, quite as difficult if someone knew coming into it. I was curious uh, how long had you been working in the Agile space leading up to that point where you read Dean's book and were trying to figure out the scaling question?
1: So I started working with Agile back in 2000. I I came in through XP. I did about five years of XP. Then I uh, started to use Scrum as well. So Scrum was kind of a 2005 thing for me. And I'd really done, I guess, seven or eight years of nothing but Agile. And then I wound up on a big waterfall program and I spent every day on that thing going, this is horrible. It should be agile. But at the same time going, how on earth do I do something this big and ugly with agile? Right. Uh, So, you know, it was kind of two or three years and it was a classic death March waterfall program. It kicked off in late 2007. It was due to go live in September, 2009. I left it in April 2010, where they were celebrating the fact that they'd signed the requirements off.
0: <laughs> Three years? <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. It came from,
1: from the waterfall worlds. So, so yeah, obviously, to pique my interest during that, to, to go, you know, how would I have made this work, Agile? Uh, it was a very complex thing, it was, uh, it was a big government program. And that had kicked me into studying and then I left it saying, whatever my next gig is, it has to be agile. You can't go back now, right? I I literally, I just, it was driving me insane. But I'd also learnt a lot about the mechanics of big $100 million plus programs while I was there. Sure. And I, Telstra, who is our kind of dominant uh, telco in Australia, had just embarked on a big, very public agile transformation, I had the opportunity to go and support them with some training and coaching and and It was a very easy switch to go well actually it 's scaled agile because you know there was nothing that Telstra needed to do that you could do with a single agile team. I instantly got to put theory to work I was uh, coaching an area that uh, a hundred and sixty million dollar program of work to refresh their enterprise data warehouse the sponsor of that program is is pretty well known in the safe community it was M Campbell pretty uh, oh, okay. she brought me in as her coach when I came along they had gone from doing really bad waterfall to really bad team level agile <laughs> um, we, we we spent six months getting from really bad team level agile to I guess mediocre team level agile but you know the, the challenge we had was that the the real problems we needed to be solved couldn't be solved at the team level. Uh, we we needed to think more holistically, and we needed to grapple with you know the moving pieces involved in something of that scale. Sure, and that was where Safe really appealed to us in terms of giving us some of the tools we needed. And besides
0: Safe, obviously that you latched on to, did you explore other possibilities at that time?
1: Before Safe. Um, I had probably said the best stuff I'd come across was um, Basvadi and Craig Larman's work. In in fact, you know, anybody who asked me for recommendations on on yeah. you know, books on scaling, I would point them towards their books because they had a lot of great thinking. In the early days of Safe, you probably couldn't see any area of Safe that didn't reference their work. But really, the the gap was fundamentally pragmatism and recognizing the critical role that leadership had to play and i think that it's part of the journey of agile the initial pitch was self-organizing teams we don't need no stinking managers right and i think uh, i'm pretty sure it was craig larman who was pretty famous for being asked a question in a public forum to say you know what do you do with management in a world of Agile, and he said, take them out in the field and shoot them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because that was kind of, it. you know, back in 2010, that was the attitude with Agile was, you know, what is Agile for managers? Well, get out of the way and let the teams get on with the job. Right. But there's a reality that says, unless you can change the organization, your Agile teams can only get so far and then they start beating their head off brick walls. Right. How do you change the organization? Well, the only people who can change the organization are the executives and senior management, and if you can't work with them and give them tools and help them understand their role in bringing about the change, you're not going to get the change. And and for me, that was where safe focused very differently to the other scaling metaphors, um, and it, and it gave us concrete ways to approach the conversation at all levels of the organisation to generate that traction to move
0: that makes sense it sounds like a key differentiator for safe so over time obviously you've invested in it you're a safe fellow and i didn't ask what was your role i guess early in your career were you coming from as a developer role or
1: project manager
0: business analyst uh, or?
1: I, I was a dev through and through right i if if i wound back to the 90s uh, I was teaching advanced development techniques. I was speaking at dev conferences on multi-tier architectures and multi-threading and <laughs> pick your poison. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, software craftsmanship was my thing. And that was really how I got drawn into Agile was the folks that who, who were really kind of leading the charge in terms of software engineering were talking about these things. And uh, and I was passionate about advancing my craft, so I was a very techie agilist for a long time. Scrum came along and said we should probably start talking about people and feelings. <laughs> that that was a very uncomfortable thing for me. <laughs> I know you know my first year as a Scrum Master was probably ninety percent writing code and ten percent looking after Scrum Master jobs. Sure. Somewhere across that journey, I figured out that if you actually focused on the people, much bigger change happened than if you just focused on the technology. And so 2007 was really probably the year that I, I hung my gloves up and said, okay, I'm not a technologist first anymore.
0: Got to hit that fork right. in the road.
1: Yeah. Um, and it was a very deliberate decision to, to go, okay, it's not about being the best technologist I can be i'm interested in in being a change agent and uh and shifted path that's great it's do you think people who don't come
0: from a technology background do you think they have a different struggle or as far as their adoption to the whole agile and scrum
1: and safe Uh, look i think that's a very nuanced question um it's actually what i'm kind of passionate about and i'll Draw a delineation on the nuance, which is say, I think you can apply Agile and Lean well and truly beyond the bounds of technology, and that if you're going to actually succeed with it, you have to, right? You have to tackle how do we bring legal, risk, regulatory, marketing, sales, how do we get a, a, you know, one mission, one team approach and recognize that not all Agile teams are about building software. But if I peel it back to an agile team building software, if we want to be able to be more responsive to change, to switch direction, to take feedback and pivot and adjust our products and be able to ship faster and faster while still being reliable, if we don't master technical agility, we will fail. And if I look across... You know, all of the organizations working with safe or agile at enterprise scale, safe or not, a really common thing these days is most of them are nowhere with technical agility. And I think it's something about the agile movement that's been probably talked about a little bit over the last couple of years. It's lost its roots in the technical disciplines that make it work. And if you don't master those technical disciplines, it's not going to work. But you're going to get a certain distance and no further. And I think if we peel it back to, you know, the coaching or the consulting industry, there's not a lot of coaches and consultants out there these days who have those technical chops. And if you don't have technical chops, how do you inspire movement and in technical people? Right. Uh, and I think it's a real gap to be filled is the folks who are out there who can help inspire technical change to go along with everything else at the end of the day, you've got to get everybody excited about working differently and improving. And when you're dominantly process focused, it's pretty hard to get devs excited. I was a dev for a lot of years and the instant anybody starts talking about process, a dev's brain switches off, Right. right? You want to talk about continuous improvement. You want an excited dev, it's improvement technically. My wife used to love to joke that my computer was my girlfriend because I periodically <laughs> sit back from writing some code and say, Oh, that's so sexy. Um, <laughs> found it pretty disturbing actually. Did she have um, a name?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are a lot of jokes about her name, uh, but I think that's an important part of the puzzle is to say, you know, if we want to actually wake people up and get them excited, we've got to be able to have a technical conversation as well. So what could be
0: done differently? Because I understood, you know, SAFE has been bringing in the DevOps and the the DevSecOps and whatever little prefixes in front of ops. Uh, You know, do you see that as
1: SAFE's attempt to try and fill that gap? Or what would you suggest? Look, I think SAFE has always pushed technical agility. Um, Right back in the early days in in the methodology crew, Alex Yakima was, you know, technology passionate. And there's always been an element of that. It's become much more mature in its coverage in recent years, whether it happens to be the DevOps content, the DevSecOps content, the new agile software engineering course, you know, the triggers are there in SAFE, but SAFE always has to be technology agnostic. And, you know, part of your challenge is if I want to do something like test driven development and look for guidance, It's pretty easy to find guidance on doing test-driven development on a web app, right? It's pretty hard to find guidance on doing test-driven development on SAP. Sure. Or on a mainframe. Right. And anywhere that's serious with SAFE, they've got those big legacy monoliths, right? And they've got to figure out how to tackle these kind of skills on their legacy monoliths as well as their new and exciting technology. So I don't know that the question so much is a gap in SAFE in terms of providing inspiration, principles, and techniques, but it's a gap in the market in terms of saying, where are the SPCs who actually have the technical chops to go and help an organization lean into that?
0: And do you think that would potentially be a new role, a new credential, or should that technical expert be an SBC as their backdrop, in addition to their technical jobs?
1: I'm probably less caught up in what the certification looks like, as in thinking about diversity of specialization in coaches. And I think this is one of the ways that my thinking has evolved about coaching over the last few years. There's a temptation to go, you know, a coach is a coach is a coach, you know, and I'll point a coach at a problem and they'll help with everything.
0: One size fits all,
1: right? right? And, you know, whether it's a conversation with an executive or a developer or, you know, facilitating a PI planning, here's my coach and they're going to help me. But I think it's where if you peel yourself back to agile and say, you know what, I need multidisciplinary teams full of T-shaped people, uh, we need generalizing specialists And we need an approach that says when we assemble a coaching team, when we assemble a LACE capability, whether they're SPCs or any other form, how do I take that approach that says I have many problems to solve, I need different skill sets in solving them and work more in a team-based fashion about deploying coaching consulting support to cover the different specializations as opposed to kind of looking for that jack-of-all-trades master of none.
0: That's a good point. Um, you know, I have witnessed in, in some of the larger engagements where you'll have a technical SME who is not a coach, but it'll be someone working alongside your SPC and your consultants, and they'll, kind of like a SWAT team, come in, do their technical thing, and a quick in-and-out deployment. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I've raised the questions, you know, the SPC is not getting that much exposure to it and the knowledge of it. And I ask the same question, is that really benefiting the customer if that person is only there for that short in and out? And you know they're focused, right? They're knee deep, their head's down, they're happy working alone. They're in and out, and you don't see them again.
1: Yeah. You know, how do you take the people with those skills and give them some of the change skills to go with them? I think that's one of the big opportunities that's sitting out there. You know, nobody would trust me to write production code anymore. But, but every now and again, they, they let me out. Um, and i still enjoy going back to my roots and 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 helping with that so you know yesterday i i uh, i had the fun of working with um, actually an agile rising client with a team in manila doing a coding carter exercise on test driven development and you know starting to wake their minds up in terms of how that works that's great fun now I'm kind of lucky. I've been around long enough. I've got enough gray hairs and I've made enough mistakes that I can shift between a conversation about test-driven development best practices and a conversation with a bank about you know, investment strategy. But if you're kind of looking at a younger crew and you're thinking about how do I assemble the right support crew, how do I find the right internal people in my organization to create as change agents and champions, looking across those skill sets, bringing them into the fold, And then saying, well, what are the skills you've got? What are the skills we need to give you? Perhaps those skills we need to give you are about change and inspiring change as opposed to technical rather than taking, you know, our vanilla SPC and saying, hey, you got to learn something technical.
0: Right. It's an interesting idea. And I also came from the development world. I was a programmer, analyst and consultant. And, like to your point earlier, you know technical people love technology, they're happy working in their technology. How do you think you would get that proposal to fly? You're basically asking technical experts to take on that additional role of being a change agent you know to me i'm I'm thinking they would have to be looking for it. They would be volunteering to want to do more and have a bigger impact versus could just bring them into a class and start training them and expecting them to play that role.
1: Right. Most definitely they need a lot of support, right? You you can't shape dip them. The fear every technologist has is losing relevance as a technologist. And, and their respective
0: management (laughs) fears, they're not working on code and delivering the software and they shouldn't be spending any other cycles, but doing that. Right.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean,
0: that's, that's our, that's a typical scrum team challenge with your innovation and planning sprint is starting that transformation and getting that buy-in of that sprint. They should be learning coding dojos, and it's, I, I've always seen that as a struggle.
1: Yeah, very much so. But it's something you got you to lean into and, and I think it goes if you take it a little bit away from technical to organizational, it's not the only specialized skill set that you need to draw into your transformation strategy and empower as a change agent and support as a change agent right Mm -hmm. if your world of finance needs to change right how do you fund and govern investment strategy you can't change that if you don't know how it works in your transformation strategy you need to identify your financial people who've got the chops who understand CAPEX versus OPEX, who understand the the nuances of, you know, fiscal government, regulatory accountability. You know, if if you're working with a bank, there are regulatory bodies with expectations around the bank's approach to its fiscal management. Any change you're making is going to need to satisfy those authorities. You, You want somebody with that knowledge, and then you need to say, okay, well, let's talk about how you master applying the knowledge you have to this different approach of working under Lean and Agile and not just how do you master it in that way but then how do you take your peers along that journey? So really taking that multidisciplinary mindset which I think it was the great thing with SAFE was to say, here's an Agile release train. We need more skills for a strategic mission than you can get in a single Agile team. Let's change the umbrella, right? If I think about a mission to change an organization. You've got a whole bunch of skill sets and areas of the organization that need to change. How do you assemble a multidisciplinary team that includes your technical specialists, your financial specialists, your regulatory specialists, your audit people, your organizational change people, and brings them into the umbrella to say, you've got deep expertise, but we need to evolve the way this discipline works in our organization. And how do we give you support in the journey of mastering not just the agile and lean principles as they apply to your specialization, but mastering the elements of change to inspire evolution.
0: And what are your thoughts on how you would get that ball rolling? (laughs) To me, it sounds like it's really systemic, right? If it's going to be...
1: So I, I think... The truth is nobody is ever going to get that ball rolling when you should, right? If you look back and say, you know, how am I really going to succeed with this? You say the very first moment when I begin my transformation and I assemble my champion team and my lace, I take that approach and I consider all aspects of my company and, and I bring those skill sets together. There are some organizations who've done that. There was a presentation at a summit, a few years back now from Air France and KLM about the approach they took. They presented a case study. I think it was the 2017 summit. If you're interested in going and digging for it, I'm pretty sure it's still available online. They had been very clever and strategic about how they did it. But I think for most organizations, they're in the journey, right? They didn't begin that way. And the question becomes, how do you move from where you are now to where you need to be probably for most organisations a couple of years in, they've made some early progress and they're a bit stuck. Right? Early wins, scale their implementation, but, but they've stopped evolving and they're starting to ask themselves some fundamental questions. And I think it's a, it's a moment of saying, well, if that's where we're stuck, why are we stuck and what skill sets do we need to bring together to unstick it? And how do I shift the conversation to bring those people into the conversation and, and bring that recognition.
0: Sure. No, it's, it's very interesting. You raise that because I share the same observation and I draw an assumption that organizations and enterprises that started transformation after two or three years, they kind of stall. And it tends to coincide with the big consulting groups that started their transformation have now peeled off the contract. Yeah. Do you see anything different or do you think that's the typical, experience of enterprises out there?
1: Look, I'm not sure that it's a question of the original consultant peeling off so much as the original mandate expiring. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good point. And I, I, I think if I drew it back to probably a lot of my focus over the last year, In in thinking about why this pattern occurs and what you can do about it. Um, I found myself more and more drawing back to product management strategy. So if you think about it as, you know, we have a product, which is a different way of working together to improve our business, right? Call it safe, call it agile, call it lean, whatever you like. It's a product that you're looking to get people to purchase, get value on, and it's a renewal-based product, right? Yep. So if you're thinking about strategy, you can peel your way all, all the way back to, to product strategy. Now, we've been talking for years about crossing the chasm, the technology adoption lifecycle, and, and all of the wonderful work of Jeffrey Moore. And I've been spending time looking at, well, what happens if I apply that thinking to a transformation and we know that that you know the technology model works through your innovators your early adopters your early majority your late majority you cross the chasm along the way through that journey your early majority goes through three sub phases with the bowling alley the tornado and the main street the point that Moore makes is that every time you move to the next step of the journey you have to reverse your strategy from the previous step Right, and and he's there again and again and again. Right, what the strategy that works for this stage isn't going to work for the next stage. In fact, the strategy for the next stage is probably the inverse. And I I think a lot of transformations make the mistake of thinking that they're on a linear journey. Different paradigm to follow and to be ready for. (laughs) So, so when is the moment when you need to reverse strategy? And you know, I think one of the critical aspects of that is. Typically, a transformation is technology-driven. Most organizations that pick up SAFE, it's technology-sponsored. Right. SAFE will never work as long as it's owned by technology. Uh, At some point, it has to be owned by the whole business because you've got to change more than just technology to get the outcomes you're looking for. So how do you move the stage from being driven, sponsored, and strategize through a technology lens to being driven, sponsored, and strategized through an economic business lens. And I think that's the moment you're looking for to get past the stall point is to go, we've got to stop and reconceive. And it would have been nice to start customer in (laughs) instead of technology out. Yeah. But you know what? Technology out got us a little distance down the path. How do we now step back and, and start customer in?
0: Well, it seems to play with SAFE 5.0, right? With
1: bringing business agility to the forefront. SAFE 5 has been a great step. There's been various pieces of my thinking and work that have turned up in SAFE over the years. I like to think I was one of the big rabble-rousers that got us towards the business agility flavor of SAFE 5. <laughs> over the last three or four years, I've worked with a lot of trains where more than half the staff are business staff instead of technology staff. And I've been very focused on, you know, if you're not worried about business agility, you're worrying about the wrong thing. So the, the approach they've taken to the framework evolution in the last couple of years is, you know, they eat their own dog food. So they write epics uh, around potential changes to the framework. They seek feedback on those epics they validate them with customers and, and prioritize and choose. And the SPCT day at, I think it was two summits ago, they, they had the 70 or 80 of us in the room as a captive audience to, uh, to write their next set of epics.
0: Is that right?
1: And uh, I, I was part of the group that wrote the epic that said we need business agility and safe. And it was very nice to see it come out because it now looks a lot more like the safe I've been coaching for the last few years. And it helps. And probably the biggest way for me that it helps is until, say, five, any business person who looked at the big picture said, this is a technology thing. Sure. That is much less so the case with, say, five.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, that seems to be a a nice shift, paradigm shift, to really address this bigger problem that shouldn't be hosted by technology or it's never going to make its way and be successful for the enterprise. Yep. So very, very cool to see that these changes in five. And uh, so are you credit, are, are Safe Fellows credit anywhere in footnotes? Anything specifically in the framework or just
1: generically? Every now and again, we get a credit for something. Um, <laughs> I regularly drive Dean crazy. I've been pretty well known in the, uh, in the, in the Safe community as being a bit of a, uh, a troublemaker.
0: Good for you. Uh,
1: I'm much less worried about whether I see some credit in the framework than whether I see the right kind of evolution in the framework. Uh, (laughs) Well, I would see
0: some great experience and influence in in making this framework better for everyone. I happen to make a note from your uh, presentation at the safe summit. You mentioned something about writing a book I don't know if if that's still in play, if if there's anything
1: you can tell us about that, at least the topic. So it's definitely still in play. I can tell you the title. It's The Art of Safe. The Art of Safe. Yes. (laughs) And I can also tell you it is a completely different book to the one I set out to write. I set out to write a book about making great release trains. And uh, I thought it was going to be a really easy book to write. I've been blogging for a lot of years. I've been blogging about, you know, practical application of SAFE and techniques for making trains work well. And I kind of felt like I had 50% of the book already in my blog that just needed editing and refreshing and I'd fill in the gaps. Sure. Uh, But I made the mistake of deciding to step back and test my hypothesis before I actually generate a lot of chapters. So I said, look, you know, what do I know about this? I know about my experience with my clients. I know what I hear when I sit and drink beer and whiskey late into the night at things like the safe summit, the safe leadership retreat. So I know my beliefs about common success patterns and anti-patterns, but I want to go and study implementations I haven't coached to validate or invalidate my beliefs. Sure. So, uh, scientific approach. So I went and did it and uh, luckily I've built a a strong network over the years and I touched some people on the shoulder and said, look, I'd like to come and spend a week with you um, to study the way your implementation's working, um, the approach you've taken where you're struggling and uh, as a quid pro quo, we'll give you some free consulting while I'm there. Went and did that And, and two things happened. One was all my beliefs were valid, right? The patterns I'd seen with my clients, the anti-patterns I'd seen with my clients were pretty consistent. Okay. But the penny that dropped for me was that you can't solve any of this at the train level. Uh, the challenges most organizations hit can't be solved by trains. There goes the they're book. Broader, they're broader and more systemic. So, yeah. you know, could I have written the book? Yes, I could have written the book. Um, but it wasn't really about the biggest problem people face. And so I went back to the drawing board and said, well, you know, how do I tackle the real problem? And, and the real problem is really kind of what we spent the last 10 or 15 minutes talking about. So that sent me well and truly back to the drawing board. I, I needed a, a new arc. I needed a, a framing for it. Um, and the path I've been down, actually, I had my eureka moment when I was preparing to teach Luke Homan's Agile Product Management course for the first time. Okay. And uh it's a great course. It's probably my favorite new course in the safe world in a long time. It caused me to go and do rereading of books I'd read years ago and new reading of books I hadn't read before I felt like I could actually teach it. And the whole time I was prepping, I had my backtrack running, of course, which was what's my new strategy on my book? And this is where it all struck me that I can think about this as, as you know, safe or agile in general as the as product. And I can think about applying product management strategy to making it work. So that's really the, the, the new arc of the book is to think, well, how do I get this to work for my whole organization? How do I approach it using product and marketing strategy within my organization how do I recognize the different stages of the life cycle and the changes in strategy and tool set that I need? And and so that's that's where the book's at. It's uh it's coming along. I'm hoping that I will be in print by early next year.
0: Oh great. And that would be early 2021. That would be. And uh I don't know if do you have a publication house or do you know where people would find it?
1: My plan is to self-publish and then uh, put it out on Amazon. There are a few fairly well-trodden routes with that. I, I just need a, a finished manuscript rather than a half-finished man- manuscript before I head down that path.
0: Sure. And you mentioned uh, you have a, a blog. Feel free Absolutely.
1: to plug it. The blog is the same name as the book. It's called The Art of Safe. You'll find it at agilenotanarchy.com. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it
0: sounds like some exciting work and obviously you bring a wealth of experience, bringing as well to, uh, you know, contributing to SAFE. And I think uh, it sounds like a, an exciting book for people to read, to really learn how to, how can you really effectively implement this in an enterprise? So Mark, I want to I thank you for the time you spent with us sharing these insights, wishing you well on your book hopefully you complete that and uh we'll have the audience keep keep eyes and ears out for that in the year 2021 the art of safe mark richards thank you again for the time it's been a pleasure and looking forward to reading and hopefully hearing you and hopefully even most of all meeting you in person face to face one day would be would be fantastic <laughs> one day in a different world thanks <Right> in light of our COVID-19 pandemic. Someday, if we have to with masks on, I'm sure we'll be able to meet each other. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for tuning in to the second Agile Rising podcast featuring Mark Richards, a SAFE fellow, and Tom McDonnell of the Agile Rising team. For more information about all things safe, visit Agile Rising at www.agilerising.com. Com. And to keep up to date with all of our latest publications, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Agile Rising.